This week on the Shooter's Touch, we welcome New Berlin, Wisconsin native, a former Drake Bulldog, a current professional basketball player in Spain, Reed Timmer. As I mentioned, Reed played his high school ball in Wisconsin, where he amassed over 2,000 career points and multiple all-conference awards, multiple all-state awards, and decided to continue his basketball career here in Des Moines at Drake University. We talked to Reed about the coaching carousel that was Drake basketball when he was here, uh, how his role changed, and, and how his mindset changed as his role was changing every year here at Drake. As I mentioned, he's currently playing professionally um, over in Europe, started off in Germany, and now has spent a couple years in the country of uh, Spain. And we have a really interesting conversation about when when COVID actually hit the time frame of his season and how he got back to the U.S. You want to you wanna listen to that. Reed is very, very cerebral basketball player, knows the game. Uh, you can tell by the way he talks about it. You can tell by the way he talks about his former teammates, his current teammates, and the, like I said, the coaches that he's, that, that he's played for, that he's played under. But it was great to talk to Reed. We've been, we've been targeting Reed for a while. Just hasn't worked out with his playing schedule, COVID, and all that stuff. But we got it done, and here he is, Reed Timmer. I got the shooter's touch. Can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor. This that mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces on blue faces. Well, Reed, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. We're talking a little bit off air that uh, um, you've been on our radar for a while and trying to sync everything up uh, uh, with your schedule overseas and um, your guys' playing schedule. It, uh, we're glad it's worked out, and uh, we appreciate you taking some time. And um, before we really get into this, uh, how are things going? It, it sounds like you're back in Wisconsin now um, doing some workouts, I assume. And so what, what's the summer look like for you? Yeah, so I just got back uh, probably late May it was. Uh, we had a pretty long season uh, during COVID. It was kind of tough for everyone that was in Europe with dealing with testing all the time, dealing with cancellations and each country's different protocols and travel bans and all this stuff. So it was tough, but we had a, about a nine and a half, 10 month season, got back uh, a few weeks ago and now just training and seeing uh what the next step is uh, coming up in the next few months. So, well, well, good. Um, we always kind of like to start to talk about your background. And before jumping into your background, um, I, I might want to clarify for some of the people that th this is Reed Timmer, not the Storm Chaser. Um, you know anything about <laughs> Reed Timmer, the Storm Chaser? Man, he uh, actually, funny story, he tweeted me back in uh, maybe it was my freshman year at Drake. Uh, just clarifying for people because he was getting a lot of basketball mentions and then I was getting a lot of <laughs> followers on Twitter that were tweeting me like look at this huge storm I'm, I'm chasing I mean, it was like it was it was actually kind of funny so we actually I'm pretty sure we still follow each other on Twitter so it's pretty funny it was probably the the hardest guest to get uh to get info on I mean because I kept searching for you and it's like all this meteorologist stuff I'm like man where's yeah. uh where's the basketball where's the basketball right we're at right right <laughs> Yeah, no, I I did the same thing, and I kept seeing. Apparently, that storm chaser guy is pretty good with a drone, and he's got some other skills. And so, uh, <laughs> been, on, been on TV a few times, but uh, 
So no, it's good. Well, um, we always kind of like to start throw back, and so I'll kick it to Adam, and we want we want to hear a little bit about uh, growing up and what what hoop life was like for you. Yeah. So uh, so growing up in Wisconsin, um, I guess born and raised there. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, yeah, let's let's go way back. Uh, when you were younger, I mean, tell me a little bit about the neighborhood. You know, uh, was basketball always the sport? Um, were there any other sports that you played when you were growing up? Yeah. So growing up, uh, I lived about uh, fifteen to twenty minutes uh, southwest of Milwaukee. So it was a suburb kid, but was close enough to the city where I got to see you know, all walks of life. And growing up. Basketball was definitely uh, one of my favorite sports, but I played everything from football, baseball, soccer. Uh, I was probably most talented at soccer until middle school. Uh, but my dad was, uh, he played football in college at University of Wisconsin and was also a big baseball player. So he kind of introduced me to those sports early. Um, didn't let me play football until eighth grade for the reasons of how severe it is. But uh, baseball, soccer, they were kind of my bigger sports. And I probably started playing AU basketball when I was in fourth grade. So that kind of sparked my love for it because I got to play kind of year round, got to be around guys that were really fun. My friends, they all loved it. And it was just a sport to me that was high pace, high action. If I messed up, I could, you know, basically get it back in the next play where it's kind of opposed to baseball or football where it's one play and then a rest and then you're kind of, it's not as flowy to me. So I guess as a kid that turned me off to those sports and kept me into basketball. So that's kind of how it started. Uh, there's a lot of kids in my neighborhood, a lot of kids uh, in my high school that, that basketball was huge for. So that kind of grew it for me. And ever since I've uh, been in love and still playing today. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride these last uh, few weeks for the Bucks. Uh, it's been crazy with their new arena and the Deer District, and being able to be home for this run is is really special. It's special for the city, special for everyone that you know suffered through those kind of rough years where we went <laughs> a long time without winning a playoff series. So it's I'm happy for everyone to be able to experience this uh, in our city. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, what? I guess, when and what do you remember about your first competitive basketball game? Was that in fourth grade AAU or had you been playing a little bit before that? Yeah, probably around then. I mean, when I was younger than that, I played, you know, at the Y or uh, the local game or local leagues that we had, but it, was, it really wasn't competitive. Uh, sometimes it was co-ed too, so it was kind of whatever. But as, as soon as I started playing organized basketball and that was competitive and guys that were uh, better against me, I... I fell in love with it just because I had so much fun. I wasn't the best player by any means. I wasn't the biggest player uh, developed late in terms of my body, but I mean, I just had a lot of fun in terms of being with the guys when a basket goes in, how, how much adrenaline I got, how much fun it was. And I was, I liked how I could play it often. I didn't hurt my body enough. I could just, I was always running around and they could always uh, have a bad game or a good game, could bounce back, have another one. So it was, very early on that I started playing competitively and it definitely stuck with me and I just wanted to keep playing. So it started from probably uh, fourth grade. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so we actually talk a lot about um, athletes kind of specializing in sports. You obviously, I'm assuming you did not in high school, you played, it sounded like played a couple sports at least. 
Um, was there ever any time where, you know, basketball coach, maybe even a soccer coach said, Hey Reed, you know, you may want to, you, know, you may want to cut all these other sports out. And if so, how did that, um, how did you kind of handle that situation? Yeah. So that definitely, I, I tried to play them all up until like, uh, probably high school. And the first conversation that was, was, uh, when my baseball coach, varsity baseball coach in Wisconsin, I'm not sure how it is uh, in other states, but in Wisconsin, the base, the baseball season is in the summer. So I got moved up to varsity uh, when I was a sophomore and we had all like high school games all throughout the summer, but also, as you know, sophomore junior season of AU, when you start getting recruited and coaches are allowed to talk to you, that's all the way in the summer and starts in April and it goes all the way to August. So my high school coach had to come to me and say, Hey, like, we can't have you missing games. We need you here. But that's kind of where I had to say, look, like basketball is my future. I'm going to have to go ahead and quit. So it definitely sucked. I wanted to play both. If maybe we had a spring baseball season would have been easier, but we didn't. So it was just kind of one of those things where I had developed, I was better at basketball by the time I was in high school, obviously. So I knew that was where I wanted to be. I still enjoyed baseball, but I wasn't about to risk losing out on recruiting weekends or live periods just to play a, a baseball game. So, yeah, eventually there's, you know, got to be a point of, you know, you have to make a decision on that, um, you know, whether that be freshman year, whether that be senior year. Um, you know, I specifically remember a time too, and I, I was lucky enough that baseball coach was, uh, was okay with me missing a couple of baseball games, but, you know, specifically remember baseball game Friday night my parents leaving after right after that to drive down to Tennessee or wherever it was driving through the right. night so I could play, play, play hoops. And, you know, at that time uh, when Brian and I were growing up, it wasn't even close to, you know, the AAU scene that you're used to or that the kids are used to now. So um, yeah, I mean, definitely have a, have kind of a push and pull thing with, uh, with the baseball and basketball typically, but uh, in, in high school and you played only basketball or what'd you play in high school as far as sports go? High school, I played football, baseball, and uh, basketball. But basketball. I played, I only played football uh, my freshman year, got hurt, and then I quit for basketball. And then I had to stop playing baseball, I think, sophomores, junior season. Yep. So I got you. So, so a concentration on basketball for most of the time. Um, let's maybe talk a little bit about that. So you come in freshman year, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you knew the basketball was the, was the way, I guess you might say. Um, how'd that freshman year go? What was that like, you know, kind of – adjusting to the high school game yeah it definitely was an adjustment uh when I would I just remember when I was in eighth grade I, all my friends going to the varsity games and I wouldn't even pay attention to the game I had no clue that that next year it would have been me I was goofing around in the hallways and not caring about the game just like any older eighth grade kid and lo and behold next year I, I got moved up and was playing in these games but uh, I was a late bloomer when I was a freshman, 15 years old. I was only 5'11", 160, 170 pounds, not that big. Uh, but my, my IQ, I like to think, was the reason I got moved up and was able to help that team win. And I wasn't uh, the main player by any means, but I was, we were on a team that was, our coach was big on, you know, team basketball. Uh, there wasn't any iso ball kind of like there is today it was just really spread the floor play swing offense and just see how it was and back then we had a really good culture of uh teammates and guys really helped me out uh, at the high school level um i had a lot of help from my aau teammates my aau coaches at the time 
because I was working out with them simultaneously. So I learned kind of, they were in the same situations I was, they were all being moved up to varsity. So I kind of learned from them, learned through experience a lot. And at the end of the day, if, if something went wrong, just having the attitude of just keep playing, get, keep getting better. And year by year, we'll build this thing into something special. That's awesome. What, uh, what AAU team did you play on? So I played on Ray Allen Select, uh, team that we actually were the first team that started the program. It's still a program today, but it's not, uh, it's not one of these big Nike teams that are the big majority, like the biggest teams around uh, the city now, but they're still going today. Still got a solid, uh, middle school and younger kid program. And that's kind of where they focused on now, now that, uh, the people that started it are the dads of some of, uh, kids my age. So they kind of pass it off to the younger guys now. So. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, I know that there's a lot of growth, obviously, we just talked about it, you know, from that middle school level, you know, you skip freshman and JV all the way up to varsity. So that growth is, is huge that year, I'm assuming. But what do you think you improved upon the most from freshman to sophomore year? Because you get that, you know, that first year under your belt and you, I mean, I'm assuming in the off season realize, Hey, I didn't do very well in this, in this aspect of my game, you know, what did you improve upon the most uh, from freshman to sophomore year? Uh, I think personally, it was my confidence level. You know, when I first, uh, my first varsity game as a freshman, all I was trying to do out there was just blend in and not, not screw up or not look out of place. Right. So when, you know, obviously you work hard, you keep playing and you get more and more comfortable with the coaches, with your teammates and you see how much your work, then makes your teammates trust you more and more. So in the summers I was working at the school and obviously playing more than every kid in the, on the team. So that confidence in me grew. I had a bigger confidence level to say, Hey, all right, now I can be the guy. I can be uh, the guy that is a star player and everyone looks to. And based off my work ethic and based on how much hours I put in, now I have the confidence to go out and head and do something special. So it was just more of continuing to play, getting uh, the confidence through the work, and having the coaches and my teammates behind me to, to boost me up to that next level of uh, really starting to dominate the high school game. Yeah, so I guess sophomore year, is that when you think you really kind of grew into that player that was, uh, you know, as you kind of mentioned, I'm the guy? Um, and then if so, you know, what did, uh, you know, what, what did the record look like? What did, I mean, uh, your contributions go? Because as you kind of said, you know, you had a coach that was more about team ball. You know, how was yeah. that? Uh, how did how did that kind of change the culture or maybe even the team aspect of your of your team? Yeah, we had a really old school uh, head coach in high school. He was a state champion coach. He had won uh, 2008. So when I got there, started high school in 2011, 2012, uh, he was very much so keep the same system of what has worked before because it did for him. But uh, as as my sophomore year came along, it was it was very clear that we didn't have a lot of the personnel that we needed to kind of continue to be a a state championship team. We kind of were really small. We didn't really have a lot of, a lot of big guys, which wasn't really normal because my first year, my freshman year, we started uh, guys that from six, four, all the way up to six, nine. And then at that next year, our biggest guy was six, five. So it was very, it was a very much a change of personnel, which kind of edged our coach into changing his philosophy a little bit. And, based on personnel of, you know, me being able to kind of be a playmaker and do a lot of things that in the past his players hadn't. Uh, I think he had coached one division one player before in his whole career. And that was a 6'11 
uh, big guy that went to Eastern Illinois. So it was kind of a shock to him as well on how to morph around that. But uh, sophomore year, we, we ended up, uh, I think, tying for first or second in conference. We didn't do much in the playoffs, but that kind of led the, the groundwork for the next two years where uh, we could kind of mold that style of play and the new style of what he wanted to do with me and with our new personnel that wasn't necessarily what he was used to. Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, yeah, used to hearing about old school coaches with air quotes around it, uh, you know, not really saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to change my style because of because of this player. So so happy to hear he did. And it uh, you know, sounds like you had a had a had a great first couple of years. What did those, uh, you know, last two years of your high school um, of your high school career look like? That's where I, I really made a jump. My uh, my junior year was my best year or our best year in high school. We made it all the way to. Uh, the game before state. I don't know what it's called in, but in Wisconsin, it's called sectional finals before you head to state. So we made it all the way there, ended up losing a close one uh, at the end, but our team was really good. We were really close. Uh, I made a jump. I think I scored my sophomore year, like around 16, 17, 18 a game. And my junior, I bumped up to like 25. So that was a big jump uh, in terms of my game personally uh, that's when offers started rolling in because that's when they can coaches at the time could start talking to you. So my confidence grew. We were winning. It was everything was uh, falling into place. Uh, and then senior year, I think I bumped it up again to like 27, 28 a game. And I kind of knew I uh, had a feeling of the conferences, who was uh, what to expect each game in game out. There was a lot of box and ones and, uh, specific defenses to try and slow me down so I had to expect that um, and it, it was a good it was a great last two years uh, really happy our, our last year uh, we didn't uh, obviously go to state but it was still a successful uh, senior season I was happy and it was a great way to uh, send off my high school career yeah that's awesome well unless this is uh unless this is the meteorologist who scored this much I think you averaged 29.8 a game your senior year so a couple yeah. more than what you thought um, and uh, and finished career with over 2000 points. I mean, that is a ton of buckets. Um, and I think 19 at the time, at least in Wisconsin high school, uh, in Wisconsin high school history. So um, yeah, had a little bit of the flame going, um, which, which, which uh, we obviously like to talk about, which we obviously like to see, but um, what about, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of junior senior years where you kind of blew up a little bit in the recruiting scene. Um had some offers. You said what? Uh, what was recruiting like uh, your last couple of years? Yeah. So the recruiting back then was a lot different than it is now. Um, they had just made the rule when I was a sophomore or junior, where they could coaches could start texting players before. Believe it or not, it was illegal to text uh, recruits. So they were getting caught. You know, coaches like just checking in on players, which is so today in today's day and age is just so wild to think about. So. Uh, I got my first offer when I was uh, 16, a sophomore, and it was from North Dakota State. Uh, I kind of knew once I had hit the Division I uh, threshold that there more would come. And I ended up getting around 20 to 25 offers, all from mid-major schools, uh, nothing high major. Uh, I was a little, I was a late bloomer in terms of my body, like I said before. My senior year, I was 6'1 and only 175 pounds, so I was really little. Uh, for and for a high major school that kind of wasn't really going to work out. I, I had kind of thought like I had some other teammates of mine uh, 
that one went to uh, Vandy and Riley LeChance and my other uh, really close AU buddy was Brady Ellingson, obviously, who went to Iowa and then Drake uh, is, a, is a coach there now. It's one of my really good buddies. So seeing them get those offers, I was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't jealous, but I thought, you know, maybe I could uh, get to that level as well. But at the same time, I wanted what was big for me was the right fit. And I think that's really important for kids nowadays, too, is it's not necessarily the sexiest offer or the biggest school. It's it's going where the right fit is and where you're going to be successful. So I had a lot of lists of things that I was looking for, um, and I ended up only taking uh, two two official visits in Drake and Toledo, and I ended up uh, choosing Drake. Yeah, well, um I apologize to Brian in advance, maybe aging us, but uh, when we were getting recruited, uh, I don't even think coaches could send emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're talking about text messages, and all all we got was phone calls on the on the phone that had the long yeah. the long string sure. on, you know. But uh, sure. yeah, it's it's funny how the the recruiting game um, and coaches contacting athletes and you know mom and dad and stuff like that have yeah. have changed over the years for sure. One thing that I have to ask is in our research department doing a little look in, it didn't look like you even got an actual official grade coming out of high school. Does that sound right? No, we didn't get a, a three, four star grade. I didn't, any no, of the I, didn't have anything. I, I assume it, if anything, it was one or two stars or whatever, but I, I hadn't really been paying attention to that because I knew from a very early age uh, that the, this, the recruiting websites and rating players was all kind of, had some holes in it because the number one kid in our class growing up from, I think it started when we were in like sixth grade and he was the number one kid for like three years. And he ended up playing football at Texas Southern and like never grew. So it was just to me, like when I saw that, I was like, okay, this doesn't mean anything. And at the time there was guys like Steph Curry who was like not recruited at all. And then all of a sudden what, look, he's blown up. So I, that was the kind of the words that our coaches had had that, these ratings are BS. It doesn't really matter. You can go and be successful wherever and you can bloom at whatever time. So don't worry about any of that stuff. So I never really concerned myself with what ranking or whatever star I had at the time. Well, and I guess the reason why I said that was specifically because it came out unranked and to your exact points, obviously there's some flaws. It feels like maybe they're getting a little bit better as coverage starts to get a little bit better. There's more people involved in that process, but uh, stepping on campus at Drake uh, made an impact day one. Um, it was something that uh, you kind of talked, uh, sounds a little similar to the high school where um you know, you're maybe kind of trying to figure out what's the right fit, what feels feels good to you. But uh, came out your first your freshman year and um, started started 29 of the 31 games that you played and um, averaged 11 and a half points. And so uh, stepped on campus right away. I imagine it was not as easy uh, as your stats show that freshman year. What was that transition like for you uh, going from high school to the to the college level? Yeah, and one of the one of the reasons I chose Drake was because uh, we had new coach and coach Jack Aletti, and he had told me in the recruiting uh, process that look, you know, we got all our players that were still left on the team were the old coaches' players, and although they they were solid players, he wanted to develop his guys and he wanted to start building something early. So I, I was able to start first game and start the majority of the season. Uh, it was definitely an adjustment in terms of uh, 
the, 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 the game, the physicality, uh, what to expect game in, game out, how hard you have to work, uh, how engaged you have to be uh, and all that stuff. But it kind of, I kind of had a longer leash than a typical freshman would have at some of these schools where some, a lot of typical freshmen is you get in for five to 10 minutes and you stay in as long as you keep doing well. And as soon as you make a mistake or two, you get yanked out. So I had a kind of longer leash where I was allowed to make mistakes. And that really allowed me to grow as a player as well as my confidence, because I knew I could kind of play a little bit more free than the majority of people and learn on the fly. And that's what our coaches uh, had talked to me game in and game out as I was developing that first year was don't be afraid to make mistakes. We're here to help you. Let's watch film. Let's correct this. Let's do that. And he, we knew we weren't going to win a lot of games our first year because we were so young. So there wasn't really any pressure on us to say, Hey, we got to win this amount of games. It was, we're going to win as much as, as much games as possible. And if that's, zero games or if that's 10 games that 15 games that's great but we're gonna learn on the fly and we're gonna try to build this thing for the future so that really helped me we ended up uh i think seventh in the valley that year uh nine or ten wins not a great winning season at all but for me personally it really helped me grow and as both a player and my confidence level and i ended up you know enjoying that first year even though i wasn't as successful in the in the win column so it was, it's definitely a little bit of a rebuild and you, and, and you mentioned obviously Jack Letty coming in, um, kind of just a, a complete start over. Um, and so what was it about the staff? Um, you mentioned you only took two visits and you felt like Drake was the right fit. So what was it about the staff, um, Drake and Des Moines specifically that kind of, kind of said, yeah, this is, this is where I want to go and, and, and give it a shot. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of things. Uh, one of them, coach Rudder, uh, was the, basically the main coach that had recruited me for the majority of the time, but also I was super close with their whole staff. So I felt like I had a good connection with everyone there, a lot of Wisconsin connections. And that was really important to me because I felt like I was going to be in a great spot uh, with just based on my relationships with them. And I knew a lot of the stuff they were saying wasn't just the typical recruiting BS that some players are, are fed. Um, it was a great school. I was a high academic guy. I wanted to be in a place where I could go and be successful in the classroom as well as on the court and set myself up for later in life. That was huge for me. Uh, they were, uh, Drake is five hours away from my hometown. It was far enough away where I felt like I was going to experience something new, but not so far that my parents couldn't come watch me play or I couldn't buzz home if I really, really needed to, if something had happened, I could go back, drive there in one night and everything would be fine. And then they were building the new practice, they were building Shivers practice facilities, brand new locker rooms, brand new practice gym. And that was ready in my freshman year. So that was big for me too, just a new facility and new excitement they're trying to build. Uh, and coach Eckley obviously was a new coach at the time. So there was high expectations there, uh, even though it ended up uh, not working out with him. But Later on down the line in my career with all the coaches I played for and ended up working out, we started a culture change. And now that uh, Coach DeVries has come in there and took him to where the program needs to be, it ended up working out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get more into to Jack Letty here as we get uh, through your career a little bit. We'll want to touch on some more of that. But um, your visit, so they, they, bring you, uh, they bring you on campus during the Drake Relays, or what do you remember about your visit? Uh, it was crazy. Like, I had no... Uh, 
like I didn't really have a preference on when to go. Like they were telling me like all this come during this week, come during that weekend. But I wanted to, I had it in my mind that I wanted to make the decision before school started. So I played my last AU tournament live period in July. And I was like, look, I'm going to set up this visit and this visit and school here started, I think end of August. So I was like, Hey, I need to make a decision. Let's set the visit up for August. I think I set up, I was at Drake maybe mid or early August that year. I went there. They took me to all the main spots in Des Moines and uh, I committed uh, in the downtown Des Moines Marriott actually with all the coaches. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Jeez, yeah. Didn't, didn't waste any time. So you had already been to Toledo at this point then. So this was your second. Visit? Yeah. I went to Toledo first and uh, I ended up uh, choosing Drake. Uh, just for the, for those reasons, as opposed to Toledo. So it ended up, it was, uh, I look back on the decision and I, and I'm very happy about it. I have no regrets. Well, a bigger draw for you, the nap center or Jethro's, what do you think? Uh, kind of tip the scale. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's still Jethro's every time I go back to Des Moines, Jethro's is definitely still the spot just because it's so unique to, to Iowa and I can't get it anywhere else in the world. So I'm happy to, to go back there every time I'm back. Well, I'm a good supporter of the program and campus and everything. And so uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't go wrong with that. But um, all right. So then um, second year, as you, t as you take a look, transition into sophomore year uh, two um, two D one transfers, uh, big 10 transfers come in. Uh, what was the initial thought or feeling? Were you, were you excited that um, maybe going to get some more guys in to help you out or, or what was the, the initial feeling when you heard a couple of big 10 guys were coming? Yeah, absolutely. Those two guys uh, came in. Graham's uh, still one of my best friends to this day. I just went to his engagement party the other weekend, actually. So, uh, But when they came in, they came in the same year as me. They just had to redshirt and sit out. So during that whole year when I was figuring stuff out, I was going against them in practice because they had to sit out and their redshirt year was just going at us in practice, having fun. So we kind of knew that we were having some talent ready to rip in that next year. Uh, and kind of building up with them and getting to know them. They also helped me in my journey just because they had been in the Big Ten. They had kind of seen what college basketball was all about, what to expect, how to play against really high-level competition. So they made me better. Uh, I'd like to think I made them better in those, in those years of practice. But, yeah, they were, they were great guys. Um, happy that they were uh, part of uh, our journey and, and ended up uh, being a good relationship uh, back and forth between us. Woodward obviously ended up putting together a nice little career. I was a little surprised. So Averson, obviously West Des Moines kid, um, watched him, you know, playing with Peter Jock and stuff in high school and those teams that they had. I, I was a little surprised that that didn't work out, uh, you know, a little bit better for him at Drake. Obviously, ultimately transferring. transferring I, I guess I don't know how that experience went for him, but was excited uh, when I heard about that announcement and thought maybe it would be a good fit. But it just kind of seemed like for whatever reason, it, the dots didn't connect for him. Yeah, I mean, I I never like to talk badly upon anybody, uh, but it just really wasn't it really wasn't a fit uh, in terms of uh, how he approached the game mentally, uh, his connection with where he thought uh, his role was in the program, his his relationship with the coaches, his relationship uh, with his teammates, uh, and ultimately uh, the best decision for the team and the program and probably him too was, uh, to part ways. So that's how that all ended up happening. Uh, 
and that's for it ended up uh, he ended up going to Duquesne uh had a season there and ended up you know he's he's still uh living out there I believe so it's just it's just sometimes how that stuff works um it doesn't always work the way you think it would and uh happy that uh Graham was able to have a successful season with us and successful career with us and uh stayed us with us till the end it uh, goes back to your point too, where you talk about, uh, you know, finding the right fit. And sometimes with maturity, it comes the ability to find that fit a little bit better when you're a young high school kid and I want the biggest offer. I want whatever it is. And right. um, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and so that's why you got to kind of take those, those um, conversations and everything serious uh, w- when you're going through it. But um, another thing that you mentioned from back in your high school days and kind of playing multiple sports and, sound like a little bit of a, a gym rat and just always going. Um, obviously, was able to withstand the test of time. Uh, your four seasons at Drake, um, played a ton of games, played a ton of minutes, um, was able to, for the most part, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much avoided the injury bug um, throughout uh, your career. And so going into then your junior year, um, it looks like you started and uh, played all 31 of your games um, that year uh a little a little dip in a little dip in points what uh what what was the deal here we we had 16.8 our sophomore year and then 15 our junior year what do you, what do you yeah. remember about your junior year junior year was tough that was the year where uh Jack Aletti had had resigned so basically i'm pretty sure late into the non-conference season that year we had uh high expectations and we ended up losing a few close games we had DePaul on the ropes the majority of the game, and they ended up hitting a game winner at their place that demoralized us. And then we had a a pretty tough showing in uh, the Alaskan, uh, Great Alaskan shootout uh, up there. And he ended up, coach just basically came in and said, hey, guys, like I'm resigning. Uh, it's the right opportunity. It's the right choice for me at the time. And he also wanted to give Coach Rutt a chance to be the head coach and be an interim coach for the rest of that season. Um, and I mean, it was a very little dip in scoring. I obviously had kind of the same role when Coach Rutt was was uh, the coach. He had more of a open pick and roll kind of philosophy, similar to the days of Iowa State and Hoiberg. Uh, and I kind of played a little bit more of a distributor role uh, in that little offense we had for a little bit of time there. Uh, we had other guys step up too. Uh, we ended up starting off the conference season strong and then kind of peeling off towards the end of that year, but it was a tough year mentally because I had, uh, you know, these co- these coaches, this coach was the person that recruited me uh, as any college kid would, would have like, what worry and second thoughts about what would happen next. Um, I didn't know kind of what the next step would be. And we weren't uh, winning a month as much during the end of the season. So uh, it was, it was definitely one of the tougher years uh, mentally, but I tried my best to do what I could. Uh, to finish out the season strong and uh, eventually ended up <laughs> working out luckily with uh, Nico coming in. I was happy that that happened. So. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to that too. So what um, what was it like with, obviously, when, whenever you have a coach change, no matter whether it's beginning of the year, uh, end of the year, whatever, I mean, but you're eight games in, I think is what it was, and he, and he resigns. I mean, was it something that there was just kind of some uncertainty around things you kind of saw it coming or did it did it kind of blindside you guys a little bit in the locker room uh we we knew we were struggling uh 
and it was definitely a blind side. I, I think everyone felt that way. I don't think anyone was expecting that to happen. We were thinking if anything, like maybe at the end of the season, uh, the AD would, would fire him or go in a different direction, but to have it happen mid season and to have to kind of adjust on the fly and have a whole new philosophy. And I mean, everyone on the team loved coach Rutt still loved him. I mean, we really advocated hard for him to get the head job that next year. Uh, it ended up didn't happening, but everyone loved him. He was a great guy and we were all bought in to try and help him get to where he needed to be uh, as a successful head coach. So we kind of rallied around that idea. We rallied around, Hey, like, the past is the past. We're going to continue to do and stick together uh, the way we know how. No one uh, ended up, uh, the majority of us ended up staying after that had happened. And we were kind of nervous that a lot of guys were transferring just because of the new coach. But the core group of us seniors ended up being uh, us five stuck together and said, hey, we've been here. We know we can be successful. We're, we know each other. Uh, even though we were kind of five five guards, it ended up being working out well because there was almost a more loyalty to each other than it was to loyalty to uh, the AD and the loyalty to each other and loyalty to Drake as a school that, hey, we came here to make an impact. And if we stuck here for three years and kind of weren't really successful, then what have we been working towards? So we kind of said, hey, let's stick together. Let's do something special, regardless of what happens coaching situation-wise we're going to be here in the summer. Let's work hard. Let's, let's get to it. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's kind of the mentality you got to have. And the more guests that we have on that ever go through that kind of coaching change, it's, it's cool how the players always seem to end up being the ones that you kind of rally around and, uh, and are the ones that make the, make the decisions and make the impacts. And um, I mean, I got to clarify too, obviously I was giving you a hard time on, on your, your scoring dip, but uh, essentially your last three years, if you look at these lines, I mean, your percentages and your numbers are like almost identical all the way through. So very consistent yeah. player to that point, your junior year though, you almost doubled your steals um, for the season. So there you go. You're always uh, yeah. and value while you're out there, but um so, yeah, so then we move into the senior. First of all, I, now that I think about it, when did Nick McGlynn come in? And did Nick, um, did you guys cross paths to the AU circuit up in Wisconsin at all? Or, or <laughs> how did that work? It, Nick was, Nick is another, is another similar player like me in terms of him being a late bloomer. I played with him actually one time in a fall league uh, in Southeast. It was just a very low-key fall league that had some, d3 some d2 players and i had gone in there because i had known the guy that was organizing it and a few of my friends had played when they were younger so i was kind of playing when i was older and kind of the competition really wasn't all that good for me but i didn't even the i didn't even know who he was at the time he was just my big man on my team and this fall league he had he looks lengthy he looks like he had some skill to him but definitely not polished at all he was a young kid and Lo and behold, I come to think of it now, he commits to Drake a few years later and he's going to be my teammate. And uh, we all thought he needed a few years to, to get going and to, you know, develop as a player. But he came on step foot on campus and just started improving year by year. And he turned into an absolute animal and he is still an animal to this day. Yeah, he uh, he came a long ways in his career uh, at Drake and uh, a good ambassador, obviously, of the program and high energy guy. And so definitely, definitely a teammate. That's a guy that you uh, you want on your team. And so 
Um, all right, so we get to your senior year. Um, obviously, senior year is a special for, for every player out there. It's something uh, uh, that you kind of build up to and you're always looking forward to. Um, coach comes in. What, what was the initial thoughts of Nico? Um, do you have a good feeling right from the get or were um, you still trying to feel everything out? So RAD actually had selected me to be a part of the interview process with uh, the select number of coaches that they were looking at. So they flew us down to Chicago and we had a uh, sat down for a whole day, interviewed a bunch of guys. And when they ended up choosing him, I, I was like, yeah, I didn't know for sure. Didn't know too much about him. Uh, wasn't uh, going to expect anything, but something that really uh, impressed me about Nico was when he first came in and he started meeting with us, he, he really didn't have this attitude about him where he's like, Hey, come in here, listen to what I have to say or else he was a very much, Hey, let's develop, let's grow our relationships organically. I know I didn't recruit you guys. I know I'm new to you guys. My system is all new, but just give me a chance to trust. Just give me a chance uh, for you guys to trust me and I'll do the same for you guys. Our relationships will build and it's going to be a long process, but I'm here. I'm bought in. I believe in you guys. I'm not going to, do anything. I'm not going to bring in anyone. I'm not going to kick anyone off. Like this is, I'm here for you guys. I know you guys are a solid team that can win. So just have this relationship built and over time we'll be successful and true to his word that ended up happening. And he ended up being a great coach, a uh, great uh, coach and friend to this day. I still uh, when I go out and visit him when I can out in Colorado state right now. So uh, great great guy, great staff that he brought in and it ended up being uh, one of the best years of my life. Yeah, no, uh, Nico never actually talked to him, no one from arm's length. Ali uh, is a good friend of actually both Adam and I. And so uh, stories and connections that we've heard about him, everything's, everything seems to be positive and on the up and up. And so um, you, you kind of just confirm that again uh, with, with your story. And, and as you mentioned, yeah, obviously going from, let's see, so freshman year, nine wins, sophomore seven, junior seven, and then um, you, you worked all the way up to 17 and 17, got up to 500. And so, uh, which is a huge jump, uh, in a year. And, um, for you, as I mentioned too, just, just continue to improve. Um, like I said, pretty consistent throughout your career, but just a lot of little things, um, more minutes played and started, uh, all 34 games, um, played the most minutes of your career, uh, shot some of the highest percentages, uh, all the way up to almost 20 points a game. And so, uh, what do you remember uh, on an individual side, as far as your kind of mentality and your mindset going in as, as you know, these younger guys, um, are looking up to you. And then obviously the core of guys in which that you've been playing with for the last four years, um, new coach, new system, trying to figure this out, but, uh, knew where your game was at. What was your mentality? Yeah, a big part of it was, uh, Nico's system and the way uh, he coached us. He knew, uh, that, we had an opportunity to kind of run a lot of sets through me, a lot of uh, scoring opportunities were going to come for me and that if I was able to put in the work, then uh, the numbers would show. So it ended up uh, being a really good fit for me and his system. Uh, I ended up playing a lot of the two, but still could come off a few pick and rolls if I needed to. Uh, I had been, my confidence was at an all time high. This was my last year. I had no, never was second guessing myself. I knew I worked basically my whole life for the season. It was now or never. I did what I could to win us games and, and basically 
you know, try to make a run in, in the conference. And obviously we ran into a beast of Loyola who ended up going to the final four that season, but we had a really good conference conference season that year. Uh, and obviously we didn't make it to the NCAA tournament, but for me, uh, it, it was the first time where I had thought maybe halfway through the season where uh, I was starting to get looks from, from agents. And I had talked around uh, to my coaching staff and being like, you know, how does that process work? So I kind of sprouted in my mind, the idea of becoming pro uh, which was special to me and I ended up uh, finishing the season strong and, and being able to get a contract for the next season. So that, that was really special uh, on an individual level but also really special uh, for our team to continue that up and up and to put Drake on a map as a great situation for uh, recruits, for coaches. Uh, and then once Nico left, they made another great hire in Coach DeVries. And like we said before, uh, the program is at a, a really good spot right now. Yeah, definitely set the table. And I would agree that uh, obviously that Nico hire and that group of guys that you had has kind of set the table for what we've seen the last couple of years. Um, and so you kind of answered my next question, but I said, at, at what point um, did you start thinking, hey, you know, maybe maybe I continue continue to uh, play and what does this look like? But before you get to that, um, you mentioned you mentioned Drake as an academic. Um, what uh, what what did you get? What was your degree? Um, were you pre-med or what was, what was, uh, what, uh, yeah. what did you study? I, I actually was, uh, when I first came in, I was pre-pharmacy and then I got into the professional school, my, uh, starting my third year. And, uh, I, I thought it was, a, I didn't really know what it was all about. Pharmacy was all about, but they my advisors at the time said, Hey, you're a smart guy. You like science. Like it's a lot easier to be in the pre-pharmacy program if you want to eventually get into the pharmacy program, then to say, no, maybe not. And then eventually say, okay, yeah, I want to do that. So I just kind of stuck with it just because it was a, Hey, you might like this kind of thing. And then I ended up uh, really liking it, really enjoying uh, the group of friends I made uh, in the pharmacy world. And then ended up applying and getting in by my junior year and was an academic all American senior year. So it ended up working out pretty well. Even though it was a tough workload, tough schedule, hard classes, I uh, was able to able to manage it, and it ended up working out well. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we all know the academic standards at Drake too. It's no joke, and for any athlete, um, full time full time job, uh, just managing uh, class schedule and workouts and lifting and everything that goes into it and so so credit to you to have uh so a tough decision at all where, where you like hey you know what I kind of have kind of done the work in the classroom and I'm set up on this side but uh kind of want to go see what this overseas thing is like yeah you know huge shout out to Ali of course and uh Jared Blount who's now at Iowa State uh those two guys were two guys that I really looked for uh in terms of advice that last season maybe mid through when I was getting hit up by agents. And I was like, Hey, I have literally no clue what this is all about. And I know you guys played over there. So can you help me? And they kind of like, Hey, just like, don't, don't give any commitments yet with these guys finish out strong. And that stuff will all fall into place after, after your season. So I had to make the decision like to finish out a year and a half, two years of uh, pharmacy school and become a doctor or, you know, go play professional basketball overseas. Once I, ended up signing with an agent and all these contract offers started coming up and consulted with all my coaches, all my family, my close friends. Uh, what do you think I should do? 
Uh, and we ultimately came to the decision that, you know, your brain is always going to be there, but your knees are not. You're only, your knees are only young once. So it would be a unique and fun opportunity uh, to just give it a try, you know, just go over your first year. My first year ended up being in Germany and see if you like it. And I had worked out a agreement with the pharmacy school uh, for the first year being like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this, but I'm going to give it a try. If I ended up not liking it, can I come back and, you know, not have to repeat my whole class workload? Uh, they ended up, they're really nice people there, uh, still in contact with a few of my professors there. And they said, hey, go for it. You're great. Good. Just uh, let us know how it goes. And then, yeah, the rest is history. Ended up in Germany. Uh, ended up loving it and now I'm going to be going into my fourth year now. That was my, that was my next question. So now we're four years down the road. I mean, this pharmacy school, they, they can't wait for you forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now, now it's a little bit different picture. Now, if I would have to go back, I would have to take a, an entrance exam and kind of a aptitude of where my skills still are. It wouldn't be a thing where I could pick up where I left off because honestly, I wouldn't have remembered everything anyway. So uh, yes. it's kind of at one of those spots, but, uh, right now it's just, uh, living the dream and playing basketball has made me happy. So I'm going to continue doing that. Absolutely. Like you said, uh, those knees, man, you do it as long as you can and, uh, figure out where the dominoes fall after that. But, uh, so what's that like when, oh, when you start going overseas, I mean, is it something where it's, it's a lot of like tape exchange or do you go and actually do workouts for these guys or, or kind of, how do you, how do you um, decipher through who and where and, um, what obviously level and competition you want to be at? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, a big portion of it is who you sign with and your agent, who they know, because there is a lot, especially nowadays, because everyone, everyone and their mom wants to play overseas. Like they, they think that that's just an option that all college basketball players will have. And now, especially with COVID, especially with uh, the way college basketball is going now, there are not a lot of good jobs available anymore because there are a lot of really, really talented players in Europe as example by Luka Doncic playing in Europe, all these guys. Now there's guys, there's guys that just signed on the Knicks who played uh, uh, at Basconia for a while. Campazzo, who's in uh, Denver, played great minutes for them, was on Real Madrid. So there's a lot of great jobs in Europe now. So this whole notion of everyone can play over there is, is just not true anymore. So uh, for me, fortunately, coming out of college, I had enough tape off of, uh, my senior season that was able to get me a job. There are some guys that if they're trying to play overseas and maybe didn't have as successful of a, as a first year that maybe need to go to a few exposure camps. There are some available, but the majority of them, a lot of kids go there and end up, you know, cause it's a lot of word of mouth, like any recruiting is it's a lot of who, you know, and those, those camps, unless you really, really stand out, a lot of coaches in Europe are just going to look at your, college tape and select you off of that um if you go to portsmouth or you're in uh the nba summer league that helps a lot too just more exposure against really high competition and it's a lot uh, a lot of guys are learning it's not just like the first year you're going to be in the euro league out of out of college you really got to build a resume over there like any other job you got to got to start at an entry level team entry level league and work your way up very rarely will you see a a rookie go straight to the Euro league, unless he had signed with the NBA and played in the NBA for a certain amount of years. So the landscape has definitely been changing in terms of jobs in Europe and, and what 
good jobs, quality jobs there are and how to get there. And it's, it's becoming more and more saturated with guys that want to do it. So it's all that more important to find a quality agent, a quality people around you and really just have great quality film, be, be a really good player. And, and hopefully you'll be set. Um, yeah, I would say the same for the NBA. I mean, you think about all these, these high, high D one guys and, oh yeah, this guy's, you know, one of the best players in the country and, you know, maybe gets strapped to the wrong organization or whatever. I mean, there's only, you know, there's only 10 guys out on the floor. So it's, and there's a lot of really good players in the NBA and obviously a lot of really good players over in the Euro league as well. And so, uh, um, but so admittedly, I haven't obviously watched a full game of yours, but I've seen some highlights and, uh, you've been cooking some dudes over there. What, uh, how, how's it been going? Obviously, uh, carved out yourself a, a nice little career thus far, but, um, I guess two things, one, one, obviously team success, where have you guys kind of been at? And, um, two, maybe what's the, what's the, the biggest thing you learned about, uh, playing basketball in another country? Man, there's a lot of things I've learned, uh, takes, uh, definitely years of experience to, to get used. I think the biggest adjustment for a lot of guys going over to Europe is just how different the game of basketball is in Europe compared to college. Um, there's for one, even compared to the NBA, there's no defensive three seconds. So basically there's a the help defense is very skilled and it's all really apparent. So you hear guys like Luka Doncic say it's a lot harder to score in Europe than it is in the NBA because there's help defense always. And, guys will make smart fouls. They're a lot stronger, more stable. They're playing against grown men. Uh, they're very, very high basketball IQ guys. So it's just a very, very uh, adaptable uh, type of game where you need to learn how to adapt your game like anything else. You need to be, uh, you need to be smart. You need to know how to fit in, know your role. You need to understand um, what these coaches are expecting of you you're not going to go out and just it's not like the NBA where your guys are going to go out and score 50 a lot of good guys in Europe are only scoring 10 to 12 points a game you have to be effective uh, the way they evaluate a good game versus the way sometimes traditionally Americans evaluate it I'm not sure if you're familiar with the valuation statistic but that's a big thing that they use over there and it basically is you get a plus one if you plus one or plus two if you make a shot you get minus if you miss, if you commit a foul, it's a miss, or if you commit a foul, it's minus. If you get a rebound or assist, it's a plus. And it's all basically a plus minus of your game. And it all at the end of the game is totaled into basically just a number. And if you, it can be positive, it can be negative. Uh, typically a, a decent valuation at the end of the game is anywhere from 10 to 15, really good is 20 to 30. And some guys can end uh, games uh, negative. So it's definitely an adjustment on the court as well as mentally off the court. I see a lot of guys go over there and just expecting a lot of similar things to how they were in college. It's, you're away from your family for nine and a half, 10 months of the season, unless they can come visit. You're in, you're, it's you're on your own to get extra shots up. There's no managers there to rebound for you. Uh, your time is your time. The coaches may speak a different language or they might not know English as well. So they're not going to baby you. They're not, they're just trying to win. So the best way they know how to win and they're only going to play to how they're getting results. And if that includes you in the lineup or it doesn't, that's so what they're not going to do anything to, to help you out. And it's just a very, it can be 
you need to be a very uh, solidified person within yourself. You need to be independent because there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of time where you're going to be by yourself. Uh, if you're not going to be with your teammates, there's not a lot of people you know over there. So you kind of got to be secure into who you are and enjoy time by yourself. Uh, obviously, unless you have a wife or a girlfriend that's going to be over there with you, it's a lot of time where you can really buckle down and get better at basketball, get better at yourself, get better at whatever side else you want to do. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but you really got to be a, a strong mental player as well as person off the court to be successful. And I've learned that uh, the hard way. I had some very, I had some tough times over there where, you know, you're doubting whether this was the right choice, but in the end, you're doing what you love and continuing to get better and enjoying what you do. And you battle through it like anything else. And it's been a, it's been a fun ride. So can you speak German? <laughs> I actually did take German lessons for uh, probably three months when I was there, but quickly learned that everyone there speaks perfect English, even the old people, but I, I can't speak. I can't speak. <laughs> I was in Spain for the last two years, so I can't speak Spanish pretty well. So I, I've had that to my name. Very cool. Very cool. Um, wait, uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, just at the beginning of the podcast, but um, how was last year? Uh, obviously, I'm assuming very, very different from any year you played basketball, but um, you, know, you mentioned a little bit about um, a break maybe. So during that break, were you here back in the States? Would they let you travel back or did you have to stay over there and just you know not play? Yeah. So it was actually a really unfortunate situation for me when COVID hit because my going in my second year uh we were on a really good team our team ended up finishing uh first in the standings when COVID hit but I had torn uh a part of my ankle in November of that year of November of 2019 going into 2020 and I had needed I needed surgery so I got surgery uh, in January, it was just a, uh, wasn't a ligament or a tendon issue. It was just a connective tissue in there that kind of snapped and I just needed it to be resutured. So it was a quick rehab. It was only a 10 week rehab, but as I had been rehabbing and finally got hundred percent healthy, literally the game I got cleared to play COVID hit and they canceled the season. I had to flee out of Spain. I drove from San Sebastian in the north to Madrid in the middle of the night because they weren't the cops in the middle of the day weren't allowing people to travel state to state in their cars. So I had to basically flee the country in silence, middle of the night, drive five hours, midnight to 5 a.m., hop on a plane, get the heck out of there. And I went then from it was March and then I didn't play another game until the following season, which was October, September, October of this year. Wow. So coming into this year, um, I just, I was just happy to be back playing. Uh, it was a really special first game back for me. Played really well. I think I had 24 points in, in the game winning layup at the end of the game. So it was really, it was an emotional game for me. It was, uh, a great welcome back, but this year was so crazy because of all the restrictions. Europe doesn't have the access to vaccines as well as the United States does. So we had a curfew at 10 PM, uh, for eight months, um, all the stores and malls and basically anything fun was closed. Anything non-essential was closed. Uh, 
and my days were basically go to the grocery store for fun and go to practice and then go home. Everyone was joking that basically we're on a parole for basically the whole year. And we, yeah, it ended up being, it was crazy. And we, at the end, towards the end in in May, they kind of lessened the restrictions. Uh, It got a little bit better, but none of the, none of our games got canceled. We only had one positive case on our team, but when he got, the guy that got it was a Spanish guy and he got it while he was away from the team visiting his family. So we didn't have to quarantine. Uh, Just thankful that I didn't have any pauses in the season because there are a lot of guys that did a lot of guys that didn't have jobs that couldn't sign with the team because a lot of teams had lost money. A lot of teams uh, weren't going to be able to pay players uh, what they were expected. So a lot of guys said, you know, I'm not doing this. And I ended up getting a a really good situation for me Uh, and it ended up working out. So I'm thankful for that. You probably uh, got some serious, serious Netflix in and then uh, during uh, that with not everything shuts down eight or before, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of reading, a lot of podcasts, a lot of Netflix uh, to keep myself busy, but you get used to it after a while and a lot of FaceTiming friends and family to keep your mind at ease and, and everyone else was going through the same thing in other countries too. So it wasn't like, whoa, was me, you know, a lot of people, even back here, there were still restrictions going on. So it wasn't like life was going to be significantly better if I was in a different place or a different job. So that uh, kept my mind at ease a little bit too. Wow. Well, great story. Um, awesome. To, awesome to hear about it. Finally here, Reed. And um, we like to end our podcast with a little section we call rapid fire. So um, in rapid fire, Brian will hit you with, uh, with a few questions. Um, some about basketball, some not about basketball. And you just tell us what, uh, what comes to the top of your head. Cool. Sounds good. All right, let's do it. First one uh, we always lead with is your favorite visiting. So not one of your home gyms, your favorite visiting gym or arena that you've played in. Oof. Uh, it would probably have to be Wichita States arena. It, it was crazy. Uh, didn't play well very much there, but it was just a great atmosphere. I think, has that one come up before on the pod, Adam? I feel like it has. I know it's it I know, maybe honorable I mean, mention for sure. Yeah, I know that's definitely one of mine. One of my, one of my favorite visionary is that place gets wild. That's, that's a good one. Um, all right, second one. So you fouled out of one game in college. What do you remember about that game? <laughs> uh, I actually remember it. I'm pretty sure it was against Southern Illinois and at home. Uh, I'd been playing well, but I – I don't remember how I fouled out or why I fouled out, but it was just a weird experience because I typically have pretty cognizant about that stuff and never really, <laughs> never really do it, but it ended up uh, happening for whatever reason and just ended up watching uh, some of the fourth quarter from the bench and supporting the teammates. But yeah, that was a weird game. I was going to say as many games as you played, if you only fouled out of one, I, I, I figured for <laughs> sure you were going to remember it because it seemed like yeah. the only time that <sighs> I'm trying to remember. I don't, I think I only fouled out of like one or two games too. And it was always whenever you get an offensive foul, it seems like you you always, you can always count on the defense. You know, I'm going to get one or two, you know, here or there to pick up an offensive foul. And you're like, shit, like that's going to, exactly. You did not see that coming. (laughs) That one I didn't account for. So, um, all right. So uh, a little bit, a little bit younger than Adam and I, but who's, who's the goat, who's the greatest basketball player of all time. 
Well, it has to be LeBron, and I'm biased because I've never seen Michael Jordan play. Only highlights, but I'm a LeBron guy just because he's my generation, and I have to have to go with LeBron. Yeah, that's kind of what I saw coming. But uh, <laughs> all right, favorite basketball shoe. Favorite basketball shoe right now is the Greek Freak Twos. Uh, that's the only shoe I wore all season. Uh, I definitely have. Uh, select uh, select taste in them just because of my ankle now I have to be cognizant of keeping that healthy and it's got to be the right fit has to have the right ankle support has to be uh, able to support me basically playing in them for five hours a day for a long time so they need to be durable and uh, right now that's the shoe that's getting it done for me those uh those shoes seem to be hitting for a lot of people i see a lot of them um like my daughter uh a seventh to be eighth grader a lot of au tournaments a lot of team shoes got the great free i mean see see a lot of those so uh um, that's been a good it's been a good one for him early obviously in his career obviously milwaukee guy you probably like that connection as well but uh gotta be gotta be better than your selection that you had as an adidas school at uh at drake right yeah, absolutely. We had limited options and early on, but later on, probably starting junior year, the Adidas started picking up, stepping up their game. And then the Dame Lillards, I, I enjoyed while I was playing there. So that's good. Um, favorite sports movie. Favorite sports movie. Oh, this is tough. Uh, it would have to be. Hoosiers just because of how classic it is and you can always pop it on and you like it I mean there's a lot of co- comedic sports movies that you could pick you know between the longest yard or semi-pro but in terms of just classics you can always pop on Hoosiers is always one you gotta you gotta choose I love it I, I appreciate you throwing in honorable mentions because yeah Hoosiers is the easy one for all of us hoop heads but uh yeah semi-pro I yeah. like that that's a sneaky I, I don't we haven't yeah. had a lot of semi-pro mentions on here so that's yeah. a good one um all right you mentioned a, a nice little layup that you you got at the beginning of this year but what's the biggest shot uh you've ever made in your career uh biggest shot most memorable for me was my senior year we were playing at missouri state uh and it was against alizé johnson and and the guys and we had played a really good game the whole game we were up the majority of the game and in the fourth quarter they had come back we followed uh, Alizé Johnson up one with, I think, around 12 seconds left. Made the first. He missed the second. And I came down. And I think I hit a little bit, probably a 35-footer beyond, beyond NBA range. Uh, buzzer beater and one three to win the game that walked it off. And that was a really special and fun moment that I always like to look back on and see the video and, and see our – our bench's reaction and all of our coaches unathletically try to jump after I scored. And it was, it was pretty funny and really special. I was, I was actually hoping you would say that. Cause I, uh, I watched that entire game and yeah, once, uh, once Alizé went to the, went to the free throw, I was like, man, they really lost this game. And yeah. uh, obviously elation after you, after you hit that deep one. So that was a great yeah. shot for sure. Yeah, that one, uh, that one's been replayed several times if you've followed Drake basketball at all. And so that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, shooter stuff, we don't talk a ton about defense on this pod, but uh, who's the toughest guard you've ever been assigned uh, that you remember? I ever, what's crazy is it, 
was in AAU and we were playing uh, Mean Streets and out of uh, Illinois, Indiana and Tyler Eulis. I just remember guarding him and the level of quickness that he had was so unmatched than anything I had ever seen before. He was also very, he was also short and that obviously was part of why he was so fast, but I can just distinctly remember just almost blinking. And by the time I was done opening my eyes, he was gone, he's passed me. And he was a whole new level of, of quickness. Uh, we never played Kentucky in, in college, but that dude, it was unbelievable how fast he was. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Big one, big name too, and he was fast. All right, um, we talked a little bit about Jethro's, but uh, favorite restaurant in Des Moines? Well, if I I really talk about Jethro's, I'd go Drake Diner. That was my spot for a while there, and ironically, the ice cream there is called Reed's Ice Cream. So I always thought that was funny too. <laughs> that's awesome i we had was it hannah fuller was on the pod i think she threw out uh drake diner as well so uh um you want to want to rub elbows with some bulldogs i guess just go to drake diner when you get a chance um all right so up in up in new berlin uh wisconsin where where do where do adam and i gotta go grab a bite to eat maybe catch a game what's the what's the the hot spot up there to to eat oh uh i i mean new berlin is uh kind of a, a smaller suburb but the general milwaukee area uh we're kind of there's a there's a few special spots um if you if you like mexican food there's a really authentic mexican food downtown called botanas there's uh, a harbor house on the lake which is really good seafood uh, so anytime any visitors come i kind of try to take them take them there because it can kind of hit all bases of, of different kinds of food. So I, I definitely uh, go to those two spots. It's uh, not, not the fanciest, but it kind of gets the pulse of the city pretty well. That's what, that's what we like. We, Adam and I aren't yeah. trying to do fancy. We want, uh, we yeah, want we the real deal. So, yeah. <laughs> um, who, so who you got uh, taking home the NBA championship this, uh, this season? Man, I would love to say Milwaukee. Uh, I definitely think they're going to be able to take it take it home uh against the hawks just because they have home court uh but definitely phoenix i, th I think phoenix is going to pull it out against la with Kawhi being out and i think chris ball is going to be coming back here shortly so phoenix milwaukee finals is definitely a, a very intriguing matchup and then I, i'm gonna be biased and pick milwaukee but i'm i'm really excited for whoever's gonna win because uh no none of these teams have won a championship in either a very long time or never so <laughs> yeah it's uh it's an interesting uh interesting year season i guess for the nba and these playoffs have have, have proven that but uh i figured you're going with your bucks but i just i just had to confirm yeah. so yeah uh, all right so what uh what was the best thing about getting the opportunity to be a drake bulldog and uh put on the blue and white the best thing about it i would say is the relationships i i have met my my people there i've still stayed in contact with so many people uh loved the community loved the city and the the people that i met there the relationships i've made uh will last me a lifetime and i'll always have a, a second home in des moines so it's always the people that make things special so it's the relationships and who i've met there that have really uh made the decision to go there uh, a great one 
Well, and you, uh, your reputation and what you you gave to, you're always welcome. So we'll uh, we'll welcome you back anytime. Last one, uh, get you out here again. We appreciate your time. Uh, a new one here. We we want to throw at some of our guests. What does it mean to you to have the shooter's touch? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, for me, it's all about confidence, man. You you have to have confidence to be a shooter to be uh, a basketball player in general and to have success. You you it's all about confidence. Uh, walking the line of, of being almost a little bit cocky, but having the confidence to take any shot, to have your teammates know that you've been working in the gym, to know that you can step up, help your team in, in, in any way of just being a shot maker. So I'd say it's all about confidence, baby. Hey, love it. It sounds like, uh, sounds like you've had the shooters touch since about fourth grade. And so uh, <laughs> on, on brand and uh, we appreciate you coming on the pod, sharing your story, telling a little bit, uh, taking some time with us. So, so thanks a lot, Reed. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for Like Brian said, it was great to finally talk to you. Um, watched many, many of your games and was always impressed by, um, you know, your confidence and, you know, how you go about the game and uh, how enthusiastic and passionate you were about playing basketball. So I appreciate that and really appreciate your time tonight. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.